0: Chapter one, and uh, I've been I've been thinking about starting a series out of Romans, and I don't know if this is the official start of the series out of the book of Romans, but it is going to be the start of the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter one. And uh, tonight I'm going to finish the chapter. So it's going to be chapter 1 and chapter, uh, chapter 1 again tonight. But uh, this morning, uh, as you look at the chapter, we won't read all of it from start to finish or anything like that. We'll, we'll start down around verse 13. But uh, as, you look at, as you look at the book of Romans, you find out very quickly. Uh, as, you, as you look through, you get the Gospels, right? You get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they lay the foundation for Jesus Christ. They give His life. They depict it from all angles. Ultimately, the four Gospels wrapping together give you the picture of Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews, as the servant that shows up, as the man, the Son of Man that's come, and as the Son of God who gave His life a ransom for many. And so you get that clear picture of the Gospels, and then you get to the book of Acts, and it's all transitional Things are crazy, people are doing weird things and you get into that book and you don't really want to get any good clean doctrine out of there. It gets a little fishy because the waters are a little muddy because the Lord's going from an Old Testament over to the Jews and then salvation spreading over to the Gentiles and you start... its The Lord is moving through, so you don't really get anything real solid too hard there in the book of Acts that you want to go ahead and base anything on solely in that area. So you got to get some good foundation. So the Bible sets it up, and you get to Romans, and Romans is so foundational. It is the absolute foundation of really the cornerstone of what we believe. And what we understand as the church What we understand, the Apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, he is the one who uh, is the preacher to the Gentiles. He goes and he brings that. And this is one of his his letters, and he's writing it to the the church at Rome, and he's longing to be there. And he's longing to be there, and he wants to be with them. And he makes this statement here in verse uh, number 11. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Uh, To the end, you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He wants that, that camaraderie, that fellowship, getting together with Rome. He goes, boy, I wish I could be there and I could have that fellowship. Then he says this, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, He wanted to come, he was set to come, he wanted to go, but was let hitherto, the Lord stopped him, he was hindered, uh, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. And also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. I'm going to stop right there. If I read the next verse, i got to read the next like six. So I'm going to stop right there. And uh, get the whole sentence in. Uh, so we'll stop there for the moment. But here's Paul, right? And he is looking and he's longing and he says, hey, I want some fruit with you as well. I wish I could be there so I could gain some fruit so I, could, so I could go ahead and get fruit there with those Gentiles over in Rome, just like I have with other Gentiles. He wanted to be able to be there to be able to not only fellowship with them, but be a partaker of what they are doing and seeing the gospel go out. And as he's talking, he says in uh, verse number uh, 13, of course, he ended it with wanting that fruit. Verse 14, he's talking about being a debtor to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. Then he says that he's ready to preach the gospel. Uh, This morning, I want to preach on Paul's message in waiting. Uh, He's waiting. He wanted to preach it, but he didn't get to. He's been waiting. He's been holding on to it, and he's waiting, and he's waiting to preach the gospel, and that's the message he's holding on to. It's ready to go for him, and he wants to preach it, but he's just, he's unable to at Rome, and I want you to think this morning of the greatness of the message that Paul is about to bring, that he wants to bring, and it starts the book, and it's so foundational to what you and I have as well as what we are to be giving as well, and so let's have a word of prayer. And we'll get into the message this morning. Father, how wonderful it is to be able to come in, Lord, and have the Word of God and have it right here in front of us, be able to open it, be able to turn its pages, be able to look at it and read it and understand it. And Father, have you be able to expound upon it to us. And Lord, I do pray that it would be you today, Father, that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me. Father, to just say what you once said, nothing more and nothing less. I pray that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. Lord, I don't know, maybe somebody has come in today that is lost, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray today would be the day of salvation for them and that they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, maybe everybody in here is saved, but I pray that they would have a message ready to go for a lost world that needs so desperately to hear about a Savior. Lord, once again, we pray you would bless our time together. Be with those that are over in Vacation Bible School. I pray you would guide and direct things over there, help it to run smoothly. Lord, help there not to be any complications. Lord, help it to be a blessing to kids. But Father, I do pray that, uh, Lord, you would work in their hearts as well, Lord, as ours this morning, that the word of God would have free course and that Jesus Christ would be praised. Lord, we pray for souls to be saved and for lives to be changed because of the power of the gospel. Lord, once again, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's Paul and he gets down into uh, the passage and he says in verse number uh, 16, of course, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Simple message this morning, but the truth is that that's a power, that is the power of God. Salvation is, the gospel preached is the power of God unto Salvation. Without the power of God, you and I don't have salvation. That's just the truth. The truth is, you and I have nothing without the power of God put down upon us. Without you and I having the power of God show up, you you and I know, most everybody in here knows, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel declared unto you by the apostle Paul. He says in verse number 3, 4, 5, right? That the gospel... That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You go down the rest of the list and he was seen of Cephas and of Paul and down the line it goes. And, And over 500 people see him risen. The power of the gospel. In the gospel you find the power of God showing up. Look up early in this chapter. Amazing the way that Paul opens up the chapter. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ... Called to be an apostle separated on the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God, look at that, with power. Well, how did he do that? According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You want to know what the power of God is? It's that God can resurrect the dead. Gives them life from death. That's Jesus Christ, risen from the grave. That's the power of God. Life from death. Well, Ephesians chapter 2 makes it awfully plain. Let's go over there. Let's go over there. Are we all okay this morning? feel like it's a little tight in here. I don't know why. Maybe it's me. Maybe not. I don't know. feels a little tight in here. Relax. (laughs) Relax a little bit. It's weird because not everybody's over here. People are over there and what's happening over there? It's okay. The Lord's got something for you right here, I promise. Say why? Because he's good like that. He can do something over there while he does something over here and then he's going to do something around the entirety of our nation this morning at churches who want to open up a Bible and preach the Word of God. And so you don't have to worry about it. We'll get, we'll get something right here. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this ought to encourage you. If you're saved in here, this ought to encourage you this morning. He says in verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead. <laughs> That's the power of the gospel. You were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy. Whew. I'll read that again. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You realize we were dead in trespasses and sins until the Gospel showed up? And like Jesus Christ got raised from the dead with the power of God, you and I get given newness of life. We get resurrected from a dead state, our spirit dead in our trespasses and sins. God goes ahead and resurrects it and gives you life and breathes into you some new life that you didn't have because you were a sinner and you were dead because of all the sins you've committed. And God says, I can give you life again. A church can't do that. Well, getting dunked in the water back there, that won't do it. You can go over, you go over, fly over to Israel, hop into the Jordan River, go ahead and get dunked. Feel free. Guess what? It won't save you. That doesn't give you life. Jesus Christ's statement is you must be born again, right? If you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. He says it's not it's not by flesh. It's the answer of uh you have to be born of the flesh and of the spirit you need that second one you must be born again that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit marvel not that i said unto thee, you must be born again he's looking over a world and he says guess what you're dead you're dead in your sins you're not alive you don't have a relationship with god god is a god of the living and not of the dead and he looks down and he says, you know what I can do? I can go ahead and by the power of God, I can make it so that your sins don't matter anymore. And I go ahead and take care of that and I can give you life. That's unbelievable. We take it for granted so much. Uh, I grew up in church, right? I've, I don't know how many people I've seen get saved. I have no idea. How many people have walked an aisle? How many people i have heard their name? How many times we've heard? And you know, oftentimes, you know what we think? Well, they'll be here for a little bit and then they'll be gone. We think about that future spot where maybe they aren't going to live up to what we hope that they could be. And maybe we think, well, you know, they're going to be in church and out of church. And they're not, you know, whatever. Or, yeah, I've heard people get saved. It's hard too, you know, you read a missionary letter and... Uh, you see some, some folks getting saved. In some places, they're just like listing numbers because there's so many of them because they're open to the gospel because they're not used to hearing that Jesus Christ forgiveness forever. And they hear that, and they hear that good news. They hear that gospel preached, and they go, I'll take that. I'll take that. And you look around, and, and we here in America go, oh, well, I don't really know how that could be. That's the power of God is what it is. But the power of God that gave you life is the same power of God that gave them life, and you ought to be amazed at what the power of God had to do to take you from deadness, from being completely dead and unable to communicate with a holy God and be able to give you life and give you the power of through the power of God be able to breathe life back into you. That only is done by the power of God. You realize the devil's going to try, and I'm going to slide something in that's not in my nose. The devil's going to try to mimic that. He has a deadly wound that he heals. So what's he trying to do? He sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. He's going to act like he's God. Well, how do you act like you're God? Oh, well, raise yourself from the dead. Isn't that the best thing God can do? That's what Jesus did. Raised himself from the dead. He gets a deadly wound. You know what the devil's going to try to do? He's going to heal himself before he dies, but he's going to act like he died. Because only God can give life. what's he trying to do? Trying to act like he's God. He doesn't have that same power. God is the only one who has the power to give life. And it is the power of God through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the death, the burial, and the resurrection that He provided that gives you and I life. It's the power of God unto salvation. The sad reality is, in the Old Testament, God would do some great works, and oftentimes Israel would figure it out, and they would marvel at Him, and they would wonder at Him. Marvelous are thy works, right? David says, and that my soul knoweth right well. And then you get to the New Testament and the children of Israel see Jesus Christ and they marvel at his greatness. They marvel at what he can do. You know what his statement to the disciples was? Greater than these. You're going to do greater than these. Say, what's greater than going ahead and walking over and breaking bread and having 5,000 men plus women and children get fed? What's greater than walking up and just going, yeah, sure, Uh, 10 lepers, yeah, go ahead and show yourself before the priest. He'll declare you clean. What's more powerful than walking up to that funeral buyer, putting your hand upon it and saying, "Uh, go ahead and rise? What's more powerful than walking up to the tomb of Lazarus and, hey, it's been four days, he stinks, and and Jesus Christ just says, Lazarus, come on out. (laughs) Lazarus, come forth, and out comes Lazarus. What's greater than that? I'll tell you what's greater than that. The power of God unto salvation. The fact that you can go ahead and tell somebody what Jesus Christ has done for you and watch God do something greater. That's the greatness. That's Paul's going, I got a message. You say, what is it? It's the power of God. I think sometimes we're not as good of a witness as we ought to be because we don't recognize the power we're supposed to be wielding. Amen. Isn't it true? I, I'm going to go with everybody in this room. If you're saved, I'm assuming everybody's saved. Maybe that's a poor assumption. But uh, if you're saved in here this morning, haven't you seen some folks and you just went, I'm not going to give them a track. That's useless. Right? They're beyond it. <laughs> or I'm not giving them a track. I don't want to get hit in the face today. Right? That person, you see them, you know, they're big, burly guy, you know, and all the tats and all the things, and they just look like they're menacing. You know what you just did? You just said the power of God's not good enough. I've been there. I've thought those same things. I said, all of us. I've thought those same things. Lord, I don't. Really, you want me to give a track to that guy? Really, you want me to give a track to them? You really think this is a good plan? He says, yeah. How else can I get the power of God into their hand so that they can have a chance? So they can have a chance to have the power of God change their life. Think for a moment. Think for a moment about what you used to be before Jesus Christ stepped in and saved you. Think if Jesus Christ had zero effect and the power of God didn't show up in your life, where would you be? What would you be doing? We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be in here. We'd be doing whatever it is we want to do. Jesus Christ goes ahead and changes your life, the Bible says forget not all his benefits. Quite a benefit. If salvation is not enough of a benefit, your changed life certainly could be, if you'd be willing to let him do some things in your life. Get over Romans chapter 1 if you would, head on back. I think we discount the power of God greatly. We don't really think about it. You get to the gospel, right? You get to Matthew 28, you sure see... Um, that's not it. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I have all the power so you can go. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. He wants us to be strengthened, he says in... Uh, Uh, I believe it's in Galatians. He says he wants us strengthened with all might by His eternal power. (laughs) That's pretty. That's a pretty bold statement. Strengthened with all might. Now, if you had all might, anyways, that's pretty good. But it's by His God's eternal power. (laughs) It's God's power that shows up, because you and I. Let's face it. I can't save anybody. I can't go ahead, I can't make somebody trust the gospel, I can't make them believe, I can't change their life, I can't, and you know what's sad is that you and I, we oftentimes uh, we have the same mentality in our own personal life, we go, well, you know, I'll just try a little harder and I'll turn over a new leaf and we'll make our New Year's resolution and it'll all be great. And we don't do anything in the power of God that way either. We limit what God does in our lives because we don't trust in the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. If they're willing to believe, the power of God is willing to transform their life. To take them from death to life, just like He did His Son, Jesus Christ. When you got saved, right, His answer is, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. God says, hey, you're my son now. How did I do that? I adopted you. By the power of God. I made you my son. It's unbelievable. I could talk about the power of God for forever probably. It is limitless, so I guess that's fitting that I could talk about it forever. But it is the power of God. You realize the only reason you can be saved is because God reached down with power to make it so that you can have life again. He says here, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You've got the power of God, but you also have the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel that Jesus Christ saves. Say, what is what is that really talking about? Romans chapter 10. Look over Romans chapter 10. Now, if you're in here, you've done any soul winning really at all. If you've ever witnessed anybody, Romans chapter 10, right, is where we go. We end it there. Right? We get them to Romans chapter 10. If we confess, uh, that if thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Down to verse three, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse thirteen, but look at the start of the chapter, verse number one. He says, "My brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge." For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Well, who are they, what are they ignorant of? Well, they're ignorant of God's righteousness, right? They don't understand God's righteousness. They, they don't get it. Well, what don't they get? They don't get verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone That believeth. You say, what do they miss? They miss Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. That's who he is. He's the Lord, the righteous judge. (laughs) That's one of his titles, the righteous judge. He's righteous. You realize Jesus Christ showing up to the face of the earth, revealed to all of mankind God's righteousness in the flesh right in front of him. The righteousness of God stepped down out of the glories of heaven and went ahead and made a personal appearance on the face of this earth and revealed that God is righteous even through all temptation. He was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When he gets to to John at the baptism in the Jordan River, he walks up to John, he says, hey, I have need to be baptized of thee. And he goes, no, no. John's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, no, no, no. You're better than I am, right? There's one that's before me, that was preferred before me, whose shoe latching I'm not worthy to loose. He's going, no, you're the one. <laughs> I, I need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus says, suffer it so, for righteousness' sake. Let it, let it happen, John. I need you to do this for me. Why? Because I need to fulfill all righteousness. You know, Jesus Christ didn't have any sin to wash away in the Jordan River. He didn't have anything wrong with him. He didn't need a new birth. He didn't need a whatever. Then What did he need? Well, that was a national call to the nation of Israel. Jesus Christ is of the seed of David. He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. You know what he had to do to fulfill all righteousness? Show up and do what the nation of Israel was commanded to do. And that was the command. So he went and did the right thing, even though he himself didn't really need it. That's how righteous Jesus Christ was. He knew what needed to be done, and he did it right. He was always doing the right thing. That's why those Pharisees, right, they'd look at him, and it's on the Sabbath day. And they go, is he going to heal on the Sabbath day? Is he going to do it? And the Lord looks at them and he says, basically, yes. Is it evil to do good on the Sabbath day? Or the answer of, if your ox falls in a pit, aren't you going to go get him? So yeah, I'm going to heal the man's withered hand. Yeah, I am going to go ahead and take care of that blind guy. Yeah, I am going to go ahead. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. You're worried about the letter of the law. I'm worried about the intent of the law. And the intent is that God wouldn't want me to do evil on the Sabbath day. So I'm going to do the right thing. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God personified. You know what got revealed the day the gospel showed up? That Jesus Christ died for our sins? It was revealed that God was righteous and he makes righteousness available to you and I. Look back at Romans chapter 3. Now, we could go ahead and read the whole chapter. I won't. (laughs) But for this, you could. But verse number 10, you know the verse, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And then he goes on to describe them. And then he says in verse number, oh, we'll pick it up again in verse 19 for a moment. He says, now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all them, upon, uh, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely. By his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And you go down the rest of the list where's boasting? Where's the law? Where's all the things? It's in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. The revelation of the righteousness of God is that the law cannot do what we need it to do. All the law could do was go ahead and look at you and I and go, you have failed to keep me. <laughs> but all the law and the prophets pointed to one man, Jesus Christ. They all pointed over to him and said, he's the only one that has kept every prophecy that was ever given, and he's the only one who's ever kept every, every law put on the books. He's it. He fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. He is the culmination of the righteousness of God. And when the gospel goes out, you know what you get to declare? You get to declare the righteousness of God. God is right. He's always right. He's never been wrong. He doesn't know how to be wrong. He doesn't know how to tell a lie. He's not a man that he should lie. He goes ahead and makes sure that he understands. You know what God is? He's just always right. He's righteous. The righteousness of God gets revealed because Jesus Christ showed up. That's Job's problem, right? We all know that. Job's problem was God's not a man. He doesn't know what it's like to be a man. Jesus Christ steps down and says, I'll be a man. I'll humble myself. I'll step down. I'll become fashioned like a man. I'll go ahead and I'll Step into the same temptations, into the same trials, into the same places, all the same thing. I'll go through everything that you have to do with. I'll have the devil come straight me, look me right in the face and go after me. I'll go ahead and do it all. And I won't fail one time. You talk about the revelation of the righteousness of God. God's just revealing how righteous he is no matter what the circumstances are. He proves he's righteous. In doing so, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 can take place. If you don't have Jesus Christ showing up as the righteousness of God, you and I cannot have the righteousness of God that He gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Verse 21, God, He hath made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. If Jesus Christ failed, you and I have no righteousness. Just like our own righteousness would be tainted, His righteousness would be tainted. And you and I would have a sinful, insufficient, and a not real Savior. He could do nothing. If Jesus Christ isn't righteous, if He is not the righteousness of God, you know what He is? He is no better than you and I. And He has no reason to try and clear the guilty. Because He's guilty, how does He do it? Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God and he was revealed to be righteous. He stands in front of Pilate and Pilate's hall and twice the man says, I find no fault in him. Even of what they wanted to convict him of, he's going, I can't even find that wrong with him, guys. I can't find any, this man hath done nothing amiss. You got anybody you know that you can say they've done nothing amiss? I only have Jesus Christ that I can say that about. But all of you, me, I can't put that on me. I can't put that on any of you. I can't look down and say, yeah, yeah, you've, you've done nothing wrong. Because the problem is I know you have. <laughs> and maybe if you didn't do wrong to me, I know you've done wrong somewhere. <laughs> because the trouble is we've all done wrong, but he didn't. The righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel. Because if He's not righteous, He is no Savior. It's revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Can you believe that God was righteous? Can you believe God would send His Son? Can you believe that Jesus Christ would save to the uttermost a wicked sinner like you and I, and give us life when we were dead in our sins? back to Romans chapter 1 Romans chapter 1 Now everybody likes most of that first part right there. Right? We like the power of God to show up in our lives. We like even talking about the power of God. A lot of times we like talking about the fact that we're saved. I hope you like talking about the fact that you're saved. If you don't like talking about that, I I don't really know what to do for you at that point. Uh, I hope you like that you're going to heaven for all of eternity. Your sins are forgiven forever. Uh, We like talking about the righteousness of God and how great God is and how wonderful he is and how clear and beautiful it is that we can understand that God is right every time and we don't have to worry about him being mean or overstepping or doing something he shouldn't have done. God is always good. He's always right. He's always got it under control. He's always the one who is just right on. We, it's easy for us to go, yep, I probably, I, that was me. Uh, I messed that up because God never messes anything up, so I messed it up. <laughs> that's easy. And I like that. That's awful comforting, by the way. Uh, when you can figure out where to put blame, that's a lot easier, right? And if it's just between you and God... Well, then, he didn't mess up. (laughs) That was me. Funny, this is terrible. I'm going to tell this joke, but... uh, Well, that's like saying I'm taller than Judy. I mean, oh, I got her. Um, I'm going to move over to this side. I'm in trouble. Um, And so that wasn't a joke. Um, No, I was listening to a comedian, and... uh, Real clean. Saved guy he actually gives the gospel after, at the end of his at the end of his thing. But he goes, uh, this one time uh, I asked this girl out and she was saved. I was lost. He goes, I wasn't saved yet. I didn't understand any of that. He goes, and I asked her out and she said, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus. She goes, I'm, I'm dating Jesus. And he's like, oh, okay. And he was pretty confused about that. And then about a month went by, and the girl comes back to him and says, Hey, uh, do you still want to go out? And he goes, All I thought was, Did you break up with Jesus? <laughs> and if you did, you messed it up. Because <laughs> I don't really think you can accuse Jesus of doing anything wrong. I don't think that's right. And uh, you know what that is? That's, that's funny, but that's true. We oftentimes go, It's the Lord's fault. But the Lord's never done anything wrong. He's never missed. He's never failed. And if anything got broken in our fellowship, it was on us. It wasn't on him. He's right. But then we get to this last spot right here. And now that I made you feel bad about that too, uh, let's go ahead and verse 18. This is a part we don't like talking about. This is a part I don't like talking about. I don't like talking about it when I witness. I don't like it when I street preach. I don't like it. I. Talk about it, because it's part of it. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. The wrath of God. You have the power of God. You have the righteousness of God. And now you've got the wrath of God. The just condemnation of sin ultimately is the judgment, the wrath of God. It's revealed in the gospel because the first part of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. The brutality of the crucifixion, the cost of Jesus Christ paying the debt of our sins shows the wrath of God upon sin. The condemnation that Jesus Christ took, right? He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. It wasn't just the cross of Calvary. It was the whole lead up. Them taking Him by night and betraying Him. You realize that's part of it? Judas betraying Him? One of you is a devil. The betrayal is part of it. Because you betrayed God. The sinner betrayed God. They turned and they chose to go against him. They betrayed the creator and they chose a different father. You have your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. Not only that, but after he got betrayed, he was arrested, they lied about him. How do you like it when people make up stories about you? they made up stories about him they lied until they could get enough false witnesses to say close enough to the same thing that we could go ahead and get him and when Jesus makes one statement their answer is blasphemy he makes himself the son of God prove that he's not they couldn't even the centurion knew when all was said and done truly this man was the son of God They didn't disprove him. They brought up the false accusations. They go ahead and bring him before Pilate after they've gone ahead and mocked him and made fun of him and they bring him in and Pilate questions him. They choose somebody else instead of him. Right? Brings Jesus out. Hey, well, I mean, it's a custom. We have to release somebody. Who do you want us to release? Don't you want Jesus? No. We'll take the guy guilty of sedition, murder, and a thief. We'll take him. Barabbas. We'll take him. What do you want me to do with your king? (laughs) Crucify him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs we hid as it were our faces from Him. We did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's what He was carrying. He was carrying that before He ever walked into Pilate's hall. And then He walks under betrayal and lies and deceit, rejection. Pilate says, well, maybe I can satisfy the mob and he goes ahead and has him beaten and whipped has his clothes stripped from him has that crown of thorns plated and put on his head and pounded on with a reed the blood coming down his face blood coming down off of him they go ahead and put a hood over his head and punch him in the face and Hey, you're a prophet. Go ahead. Who hit you? Tell us who hit you. You can imagine Jesus Christ in his mind goes, Oop, I know who that was. I know how many hairs are on your head. I know how long you've been breathing. I know what day you're going to die. I know everything you've ever done and everything you've ever said. But as a lamb before his shearer is his dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And he sits in silence, knowing the answers to the questions he's been given, but refusing to answer to take the wrath of God upon him so that you didn't have to. And they beat him. And they make fun of him, and they throw the robe on, and they parade him out in front of the people again. And Jesus is bloodied and beaten by this point. And their answer is, crucify Him. Not enough, Pilate. Not enough. What Pilate doesn't know is that the wrath of God hasn't been satisfied yet. The just condemnation of the wrath of God hasn't been taken care of. And so Jesus... Jesus Christ is taken and Pilate washes his hands and says, I'm free of the blood of this just person. And he allows his soldiers to take him out of the city, lay him upon that cross, drive the nails through his hands and through his feet, slide that cross over to the hole that they'd put in the ground, Stand him up and watch it drop in place as the nails yank on his flesh and bones. The blood pouring down him. All the way from his brow to his toes. Visage marred more than any man. Couldn't even recognize him. As the son of God, unrecognizable. And as he hangs there, his call out is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because to have the wrath of God poured out would mean that he would have to be separated from the Father. To truly pay the debt of your sins, he could not be deemed the Son of God. Instead, He had to be made sin for us. The personification of sin that day, Jesus Christ, with the pouring out of the wrath of God upon Him, because there was no other substitute, with the bulls of Bashan compassing Him about and the crowd still crying, And Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They watch as the Son of God hangs there and gives his life under the just condemnation of the wrath of God poured out upon the sin of all of mankind. All of your sin. All of mine. God's judgment upon sin ends with Jesus Christ's statement, it is finished. And then he goes three days and three nights in the heart of the earth to spend an eternal judgment upon sin. Jesus Christ took your eternal punishment on sin. Somebody had to satisfy the wrath of God. Somebody had to pay it. God's judgment upon sin, the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay it. Gifts are given. Wages are earned. And Jesus Christ, in order to be able to give you a gift, somebody had to pay for that gift. In order for Jesus Christ to give you the gift of eternal life, you know what he had to do? You had to pay your wages so that you wouldn't have to pay them. Because somebody has to pay them. And the wrath of God is poured out because the wrath of God is the payment for all of sin. That's the punishment. The just punishment of sin is the wrath of God poured out upon you. The lost man today, John chapter 3 They're condemned already because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. He ends John chapter 3 with the wrath of God abideth on him. It's on them. They are under the just condemnation of God and they are under the wrath of God because they are going to pay the ultimate price of all of sin unless they let Jesus pay for it. Talking about the greatness of the gospel and the power of God unto salvation and the price that is paid in the wrath of God that must be satisfied. We don't like to talk about it. But if you don't understand there's a price for sin, how do you understand why Jesus would pay it? The wrath of God is revealed. When you think about the crucifixion of His own Son, you're revealed how much God hates sin. How much He despises and detests it. How much God had to pay to go ahead and make sure you and I had eternal life secured forever. You know what Paul's going? He's going, you know what, I've got a great message. If I could just get to Rome, I'd love to preach it that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. I got a message. Say, what's that message? The power of God has arrived. It's contained in the gospel that a dead man can have life. And you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins and God showed up so that He could bring us life. And so He needed to send His righteousness. The branch, His righteous servant. The Lord Jesus Christ, His Son to pay the debt of all of our sins he had to be righteous he had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish he had to go ahead and be the lamb of God which could take away the sin of the world so he had to be righteous when you and I are so unrighteous he had to be perfect and sinless when you and I are lousy and terrible and awful and couldn't do anything right he had to do everything right and he did everything right to make sure that the righteousness of God could be revealed to a lost world to understand that they are sinners but he is not that they are wrong And he is right, and that he is willing to not only give them life but to give them his righteousness so that they can have eternal life and not be under the wrath of God that's revealed. And without Jesus Christ, that is exactly what they have they have the wrath of God and ultimately a lake of fire for all of eternity. And Paul says, I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to preach. Christian, are you ready to preach? I'm not the Apostle Paul. I know. I know you're not. But you're supposed to be ready to have an answer of the hope that lieth within you. You're supposed to be ready with something. If you're not ready, why aren't you ready? Why aren't you ready? I, I'm, I'm very much into problem solving. I like to solve problems. I like to figure it out. If it doesn't work, we tweak it and we figure it out. We keep working until we figure it out. You know, sometimes I struggle. I'm being honest. You know where I struggle sometimes? My own personal life where I failed. And try and go, why did I fail? Why am I not what I ought to be right there? Lord points something out to to you. Maybe you know what you ought to think, Christian. Why am I not what I ought to be right there? What should I be doing differently to make me what God wants me to be? As far as being a witness and ready to preach, what aren't you doing that is, makes it that you're not ready? What gets in the way? Is it that you don't have the information in your head because you haven't taken the time to learn it? That's easily fixed. You can learn those things. Is it that you don't pray about having an open door and being ready? That the Lord would give you the peace to be able to be able to speak to somebody. I know some some people they get real nervous talking to people. It's weird. I'm better up here and I'm more relaxed here than I am one on one with people a lot of times. Random strangers, I'm terrible starting. I just am. I don't really like it. I'm uncomfortable. So what do you do? You pray. Lord, I need some peace. I got to be able to speak. Give me boldness. You heard about boldness last week from brother, from brother Grady. Boldness. To be able to speak, give the gospel. Paul's looking around. He already says, I'm not ashamed. Well, then that means you've got boldness. That's the opposite, right? Being ashamed is, I don't, I'm not very bold. I'm not ready to talk about those things. He goes, boy, I'm not ashamed. I'm ready to talk about it. The maniac of Gadara, he was bold. Amazing. I don't know if you've seen this. I don't if you've noticed the maniac goes back into that city, when Jesus Christ shows back up, he's got a whole crowd he's got to talk to. I think the maniac was a little busy. He got in his right mind, and you know what he said? I'm going to tell everybody. Now when Jesus Christ shows back up to those coasts, he's got everybody showing up to him. Everybody wanted to know what changed him. I know they were mad at him at first, and boy, all of a sudden, everybody wants to know. He was willing to tell them. Maybe it's that you don't make time. You don't make time to take time. I'm always too busy. I'm always too busy. Maybe it's that you're not ready because you don't have a gospel track on you. When you don't have all the time in the world. You don't have anything to give them so that they can have it. You know what I really liked? We worked on these. Martin made the, made the front. I'd been messing around with the back a little bit. and I had a thought a while ago, and I'd heard it at a preacher's fellowship we went to or a pastor school we went to about maybe trying to do this and just send it into all the homes in an area and then be able to see what, see what happens. Maybe go door knocking in that area after you send them in. Say, hey, you may have gotten our card over the last couple of weeks and so on and, and get a chance to talk to them. So this is kind of a guinea pig moment right here. It's just kind of a, let's see how to do this. How do I make this work? And we made some mistakes on it. And I'm, I'm not 100% happy with the final product, but it was a good first one. You know what I thought? We can work with that. We can work with that. You know what it did? On the back of this is the gospel. If nothing else, you know what? Every home in Martville got the gospel faster than we could ever do it knocking doors. In a day, everybody in Martville got one of these. 601 went out. Boom. We got the gospel to 601 people in a day. Just real quick. Didn't cost us a lot either, by the way. I'm not I'm not spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars to do this right here. Much cheaper. Real easy. So what do you want to do? I just want to try and find some ways to get somebody to the gospel. Maybe some ways we've never tried before. Maybe some ways we've tried before and we want to try and tweak them a little bit or we want to do something. Just finding ways. Maybe you've got some things in your own personal life. Maybe you go, hey, pastor, I'd be willing to pay. I'll pay for one route. Postage for one route. It's discounted, by the way. It's not 50 cents or whatever it is for a stamp now. It's way less than that. To do it the way we did. What are you doing? Just need to get the gospel out. I'm ready to preach the gospel. Are you ready? (laughs) Paul's going, I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to tell somebody about what great things the Lord hath done for me. I'm ready. Would you be willing to be ready? And if you're not ready, ask yourself, why am I not? What haven't I done to be ready to give somebody the gospel? If you've been saved if you've been saved for a month, you ought to have something you can say. Folks in the Bible, they didn't have a ton. They didn't even have a Bible. They had the Old Testament and whatever they had learned growing up. You know what they could do? They could go ahead and do their best at what they had. Are you ready to give the gospel? Say, boy. All we hear about is the gospel. <laughs> you know what's sad? It's sad when Christians stop remembering about how great the gospel actually is. They've forgotten that it is the power of God. And I'll be done. I'll have Brother Andrew come and help me out. But you know what? How many of you have ever asked, I wish I had the power of God in my life? Now, I am not the go door knocking. I'm not, I'm not the house crowd of if you've got a problem in your marriage, go door knocking. And if you've got a problem with, you know, lying, go door knocking. And if you've got a problem with drugs and alcohol, go door knocking. That's not what I'm saying. You want the power of God in your life? An aspect of that power of God being in your life? is being ready to preach the gospel. Well, I don't I don't see God working. Maybe because you're not giving him anything to work with. Because you're not ready to. I'm done. I know it's been a little heavy at times. But maybe this morning you need to come and just say Lord I'm sorry I'm not ready I haven't been as ready as I ought to be there have been times and we can all say we can all say everybody in this if you're saved in here we can all say I wasn't ready that day we can all look back I wasn't ready to give it to that person right there and I should have been and I failed and we apologize right and we go Lord I'm sorry I wasn't ready we try again amen we try again that's what we do we learn from our mistake we try again ought to be ready Sorry, Lord, I wasn't ready. But the sad reality is sometimes we don't do anything to change our readiness. Maybe you need to change some things this morning. I've been preaching the gospel all morning. I don't believe anybody in here is lost, but I don't know. You know. We've had folks get saved much later than we thought. And you know what? If that's you this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, now's the time. You can have Jesus Christ forgive you of all your sins today. And everybody would rejoice at the power of God showing up for you. And if you need to take that time, please get my attention. We'd love to open a Bible and show you out of the Word of God how you can know your sins are forgiven forever and that you can have eternal life taken care of now. Let's go ahead and stand. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation even now. Lord, you'd work in our hearts. Father, you've paid a great debt for us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have room for you in our lives as well as in our hearts. Lord, if someone here is lost, I pray they wouldn't leave that way. I pray they'd call upon you. Lord, those of us who are saved, I pray you'd help us to be a great witness and be ready to preach the gospel day in and day out. Be always ready to answer of the hope that lieth within us. Lord, we do pray you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen.